Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Good evening. Welcome to episode 000067 of The Mission. My name is Daniel James. I'll be your host through the curfew this evening. Broadcasting to you once again from Radio City Docklands. And as we all know, Radio City Docklands is on the land of the Wurundjeri people from the Kulin Nation. And I am here to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And here's a timely reminder that this land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. So um, right at the top of the show, um, please indulge me as I tell you a little story that I think sets up uh, the first interview that we have this evening. And I I must warn you that there are a few offensive words in the story that are in context. So just bear that in mind as I I go along with this opening little spiel. Um, I spent the first four years of schooling at uh, St Norman's North Primary School. This was back in the um, 80s, and it was on the spoiling fringes of an ever-growing metropolis. Working-class kids and new immigrants made up the school's population. Kids from every conceivable background, uh, Greek, Turkish, Vietnamese, Syrian, Anglo, Italian, etc., etc., you name it. Uh, it was a very diverse and multicultural setting in which to be educated. And it was what people or policymakers back then liked to call uh, a real melting pot of, of cultures. Now, I was only nine at the time, but during my years at St. Albans North, I never once picked up on uh, racism pointed at me or at the kids that I went to school with. It was probably there, but it was certainly not overt. It was certainly not something that... Uh, affected my education and from what I could work out affected the education of anyone that I went to school with. It just wasn't there. We all knew we were different from one another, but it didn't matter. And uh, I must say I was a pretty chronic asthmatic as a child, quite sickly actually. I um, Several bouts of bronchitis and uh, uh, complications due to asthma affected the way that I was able to actually participate at school. So my parents made the decision to move my sisters and I out of the dirty industrial air of the western suburbs of Melbourne to improve my asthma and move to the northeast Victoria, the pollen capital of Australia. <laughs> anyway, that's a, that's a different story. Um, so changed schools, went to this uh, small country town primary school in northeast Victoria. And on my very first day at my new primary school in that small town, that I would actually end up growing up in, there seemed to be a lot of antagonism in the playground towards two brothers. And when I say brothers, they were actually brothers. Um, uh, Both clearly Aboriginal, both clearly brothers, and in actual fact, Noongar brothers. And, you know, my first recess of my first day at a new school, what, what sort of dawned on me was all they were clearly trying to do was to actually fit in. With the, with the rest of the kids. But every time they would try and join in and engage, they were shut down by other boys and girls, ranging in age from, I'm guessing, 9 to 11. Um, they weren't called abos or bungs, 
they were racist terms that I'd heard before and uh, had been uh, highlighted to me as, you know, if anyone calls you that, Daniel, you know, you have my permission to smack him in the mouth from <laughs> my mum and their dad. Um, but what the kids were actually calling the two Noongar boys that first day of term four of my new school was coons. Shut up, coon, they sneered. My 10-year-old self was asking, why are they calling them these derogatory names after a brand of cheese? And what ended up happening is for me, and like so many other Aboriginal brothers and sisters all over the country, it would be a taunt that I would hear and experience for the rest of my school days and beyond. And to this very day, every time I see or hear that brand of cheese, it makes me go back to those days. Um, That brand and that uh, label has actually caused a lot of people a lot of hurt and a lot of pain over a very long period. Australia, a country where you can genuinely be triggered by a brand of cheese. But I'm very happy to say that won't be the case for much longer, thanks to our first guest who will be coming up after a tune. I'll be speaking with um, Dr. Stephen Hagen. He has campaigned for over 20 years to get the name changed. And as of a couple of weeks ago, he succeeded. Stephen will explain the origins of the brand and why it is racist. So that's just a way to set up the show. Um, I'm not going to dwell on COVID-related material too much this evening. Seems like we've turned a corner as such, but uh, we should always remain vigilant. The best way to connect with me is via my Twitter handle at Mr. DT James. So let's get rolling. Stay safe, stay strong, and stay listening. Triple R. Now it's time to um, start the show proper with our first guest. Now, if you heard the start of the show, hopefully you realise why the racist term coon is so traumatic, jarring and hurtful to anyone of Aboriginal heritage in this country. And that's because of this reason our first guest has campaigned tirelessly to get the various owners over the years of coon cheese to change the name of their brand. Uh, to describe the campaign and explain its significance is Dr Stephen Hagen. Stephen is an Australian author and anti-racism campaigner who's also a newspaper editor, documentary maker, university lecturer and a former diplomat. Uh, his father, Jim Hagen, belonged to the Kalalil people of the region while his mother was of the nearby Kuma. Stephen has been a fierce and tireless act activists on a range of issues, including renaming racist grandstands, the removal of gollywogs from stores, and of course, this latest one, which has been the rebranding of Coon Cheese. He's on the line with us now from the Northern Territory. Uh, Stephen, welcome to Triple R. Oh, g'day, Daniel. Look, uh, it's a pleasure, Matt. I'm, I'm glad to be able to talk to you and uh, to your listeners. First of all, tell us about the, the history of Coon Cheese and what makes the branding of that racist? What, what were its origins? Well, the, the promotions in the um, various uh, owners' uh, websites, I'm talking about Kraft initially, um, then taken over by dairy farmers and uh, yeah, even more recently uh, Kapuku. So they say that the the cheese was um, patented on um, 27 February 1926 by um, Edward William Coon in America. And that, uh, what he apparently or alleged to have done was to um, introduce humidity into the uh, chamber to speed up the ripening process for cheese, of course, with a little bit more heating. And uh, that 
process became known as cooning. And uh, it sort of goes on from there. And he talks about, they talk about, um, it was uh, introduced in, into Australia, you know, by Fred Walker at about 1935 at the uh, Wannable Cheese and Butter Factory, uh, at a cheddar cheese. Um, 1933, the cheese was muzzled by Fred Walker with red coon and then it was coated in red wax. So you've got all these sort of uh, promotional stuff going on around the place. Um, I've always uh, questioned uh, the origins of, of that name. Um, you know, much has been criticised heavily by, by the public um, broadly. And, um, you know, I'd certainly ask Kraft uh, and Barry Farmer Back in 1999, 2000, I just said, look, if you want me to drop my campaign against uh, this cooling cheese uh, as an offensive brand, um, you know, please provide me with the uh, history of this um, Edward William Coon. I said, show me um, the papers that I think they were calling him uh, Dr. Edward Coon back then. I said, show me where he got his PhD from. I show me scientific inventions if he's such a uh, innovative fellow in the process in, in the cheese processing business. Uh, I never got any reply back from these guys. I've always been suspicious about the uh, the origins of the name. Mm. Bit as it may, um, I, I, I'm still highly I, I still find the word highly offensive because as a young Aboriginal person growing up in Southwest Queensland, uh, that, that name along with a few others were uh, descriptors used to. Um, uh, you know, get under the skin of Aboriginal people and what a lot of our, uh, you know, verbal and um, physical confrontations are came about at nightclubs and football field, netball courts, basketball courts. You know, uh, most Aboriginal people I know uh, was uh, referred to as a coon um, uh, for various reasons uh, and all those were really intended to demean uh, us because of their colour. I think I think that's the thing is look there's there's um, theories about how the cheese itself was actually wrapped in um, either black paper or, or a black rind and um, that was part of the joke that uh, the, the the cheese was was then coon cheese but on the flip side of that irregardless of its um, origins the the fact is that most Aboriginal people in this country over the course have been labelled at one time or another a coon. Um, either to their face or behind their back or through social media. And so, you know, just to see that that, that cheese in the supermarkets is, is very jarring and, you know, brings a degree of um, trauma with it. You said the campaign started in um, 1999. You've spoken to three different owners over that um, period. Um, do you want to describe the, the campaign and its various stages? Uh, yeah, sorry, sorry, I missed that last part. What, what did you say? Uh, did you did you want to describe the the campaign over the last twenty years and oh, its various right. stages? Uh, look, the, the, initial, the initial complaint back in nineteen ninety nine was to the um, Australian Human Rights Commission. Um, uh, I just uh, wrote it um, into that I found it to be um, an offensive term and um, could be. Uh, uh, you know, I want to take a case against the dairy farmers to. Um, Take the offending word, uh, take you know, take the offending brand down and replace it with another one. All of them, they didn't take very long. Within a week or so, they just dismissed it. They said, "No, um, to someone's name, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to um, uh, do any, go any further with this this case. It's a, it's a frivolous case, and that's, that's about where where it will end." But so I've just been campaigning, right? I've, as you know, I've campaigned. Um, 
Uh, well, in fact, three months before that campaign, I was fighting to change the, the word nigger from the ES nigger brandstand in Toowoomba. It was a, it was a name, I think it was a nickname given to a white Australian. He played rugby league for Australia in centres, a bloke by the name of Edward um, Brown, who, uh, because he had blonde hair and blue eyes, they nicknamed him as an opposite. And the opposite back in the, in the 50s and 60s was um, nigger. So they, uh, that was his nickname. They stuck with him. He played for Australia. And then uh, when he retired, he became a successful businessman. And um, everyone called him Nigger Brown. And, and when they named this um, new stadium, a grandfather after him in, in Toowoomba, where I, I lived, um, they, and they put up his uh, nickname, his friend's nickname on the grandstand. And then when I went there, uh, you know, uh, to watch my nephews play rugby league, I was very offended by the... Uh, the visual ugliness of the sign, the ES Nigger Brandstand, and then also on the commentators that when uh, someone scored a try, and they said, oh, that's, that try was scored at the Nigger Brandstand end of the, of the of the ground, and it was just awful. And uh, so I, I, I took that one first. I, 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 all, all the time, I always approached the owners to, to, um, to take it down themselves. In that case, it was Toowoomba Sports Ground Trust. Um, and they said, no, we, we spoke to Aboriginal people and it's a good old tactic they use. Uh, yeah, you play yourself they, against each other. Aboriginal yeah. rugby, league play, rugby, league, yeah, rugby league plays and who they uh, allowed to play in the representative sides and um, gave them some uh, menial jobs in their factories around the place. And, and those people came out and said, no, we were not offended by the word nigger. And uh, so I went to, I lost there and then, with, uh, with the board meeting, they said, no, we're not going to change it. Uh, took it to the Human Rights Commission. They said, no, we'll, we'll refer it on to, um, you can refer it on to the federal court. And then I went right through the process uh, with the Nigger Brandstand, um, the federal court, uh, lost there, appealed to the full bench of the federal court, lost there, sought leave to appeal to the high court, lost there, and my last legal recourse was the United Nations. So I took the matter to the... Committee for the Elimination of uh, Racial Discrimination, served, and I had victory out of uh, success there. But once I had success there, um, you know, John Howard was the Prime Minister then, and Dale Williams was his uh, Attorney General, and they both said that they were satisfied with the handling of the matter in the Australian domestic courts, and they wouldn't abide by the uh, United Nations decision to, to uh, take the defending word down from the grandstand and um, yeah so I mean, look it's it's been challenging all along oh, I mean, the, the links you have to go to the umpire's decision the links you have to go uh, to look, get someone to commit a basically civil act but I, I think I think what you described there is quite typical of um, you know John Howard's era where it just seemed to become more and more acceptable to be you know politically incorrect slash Racist, and, and and this country actually has quite a history when it comes to naming places and um, uh, um, uh, mountains and geographic uh, parts of Australia um, after racist terms, don't we? Oh, Australia, Australia, steeped in um, uh, history of racism. I, I've, I've travelled the world, and um, I say Australia is one of the most racist countries in the world. I mean, in, in the case of the Nigger Brandstand. I um, had uh, Senator Bob Brown, the Green from Tasmania. Uh, he moved a motion in, in Parliament to um, for, the, for the for the Senate to uh, support his motion. He uh, a couple of Greens and a couple of Independents, uh, more than seven, uh, voted for it. 
in Labor under Kim, Kim Beasley Jr.'s uh, administration, under his opposition leader, and they um, they sided with the coalition and said no, I think it wasn't offensive. So you know, it's it's, it's amazing. It was absolutely appalling the the level of um, lateral violence, you know, and then that's then passed on to the broader community, you know, and you get attacked for daring to uh, challenge the, the status quo of this really white this, uh, society, this this uh, uh, country that hasn't really gotten over. Um, the white Australia policy, they would much rather be back in that era where blacks knew their place and, um, you know, they, they towed the line. Uh, so uh, I came through, you know, an awful time um, going through that. I mean, you know, it's, it's, not, a, it's not something I, I would recommend um, to, uh, you know, young radicals starting out in life. And uh, I know those who have been down that path I know exactly what I'm speaking about because it's... Um, you know, the power's little with minefields, right? You, you don't get much support and you don't get much respite from you know, from daring to tell them it's the status quo. And, you know, you're undertaking these, you know, um, campaigns. You're getting knocked back time and time again, all during what I'm what I'm guessing is, is the prime of your prime of your life in terms of your, your career and, and, and growing up failing. You've got to carry that extra burden of having to get or go to the highest levels of... of, of government and the highest levels of our judiciary to basically get a stand renamed and just do something that's completely decent and non-offensive, needlessly offensive. Yeah, well, the Labor government in Queensland, Peter Beattie, uh, even Anna Blythe, who succeeded them, I mean, these people who we thought were supporters of Aboriginal people were just looking at the next election coming up. They didn't want to be seen to be siding with some radical black fellow and, and, and run the risk of Offending people who are sitting on the law, on, on the border, you know, with, uh, with whether they're going to vote coalition or, or Labor. So, uh, look, it, it it was it was a bad time, and um, I guess those people have got to got to um, live by the decisions that they they, uh, they they had back in those days. And you know, it, it didn't stop me. I mean, I had success in recent times, as you know, with the, mm. you know the, uh, the new the new company in Canada saying that. Uh, you know, they um, they're going to retire the, na- the name. So I, I guess in, in that respect, I had uh, success in um, having uh, the Canadian company uh, retire the name. So not quite so sure when Sapoto will um, will retire the name. But you know, ever since that decision came out, I've, I've been attacked, uh, you know, continually. I mean, the, the amount of uh, vile. Um, you know, attacks is quite alarming, and yeah. I actually, when these things happen, uh, as I've done in the past, I, I just sort of stay home for a couple of weeks and let it blow over. You know, uh, I think when I go on TV, I, I think they, the public gets confronted by this fellow that they so happen to have a DR in front of his name, you know, and, and the media calls me Dr. Stephen Hagen, and uh, that may, it makes me even more confused because I don't expect Blackfellas to have a PhD. And then I'm looking straight in the lens of, of, of the television camera, telling them they're all a bunch of rednecks, uh, you know, uh, literally. And um, you know, they don't like that sort of stuff, mate. They don't, they don't want um, black folks to, to challenge them at any level, and particularly reminding the rest of the world that um, you know, seventy-five uh, percent of them are, are rednecks, effectively. Yeah, there is a term now, uh, Dr. Stephen, that um, has become more and more prominent, but you probably could have used during some of the more halcyon days of your campaigning, and that, of course, is uh, white fragility. 
And whenever a mirror is shown up to the broader Australian community about some of the, the racist acts that have been undertaken to towards Aboriginal people in this country, it just seems to kick off um, a, a some sort of reaction about, you know, how very dare you point out the, the truth in our history. We're all great. We're all bonzers. We have snags and prawns on the barbies and everything is going to be okay. Yeah, look, um, I mean, there's other things I've done too, like gollywogs. I, I, yeah. I was a Terry White chemist, a very popular chemist in Queensland, um, still is, and they had um, have a, a happy white, white Christmas and they had gollywogs in the, in the front window. And I, I, I wrote to the owner of, of um, the, 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 the chain, I said, mate, if you don't have, um, if you don't remove those gollywogs from your windows all around the state, I said uh, I'll be um, getting my sports campaign outside the chemist um, in the next uh, two hours, and uh, he wrote back to me. And he, he introduced policy straight away that uh, from the from this day forward, no colleague will be allowed into the shop. So he re- he responded straight away. But once again, I got attacked um, viciously for for forcing the hand of a respected chem- uh, chemist to uh, take the colleague from the front window. I could understand why I was offended by. It. I am speaking with uh, Dr. Stephen Hagen, who has campaigned and advocated across a whole range of areas throughout his work and life, but most recently has had success with um, getting the dairy products company Superdo from Canada to actually finally agree and change the name of Coon Cheese. I wanted to ask you, Dr. Stephen, um, how much momentum was generated by the Black Lives Matters movement? In terms of contributing to this particular change, is there a link? Oh, look, it's very, very much so. The the, the owner um, of the company actually said that uh, in a, in light of the Black Lives Matter um, movement uh, globally, globally they um, were reviewing their policies in respect to uh, employment and um, and uh, social justice issue broadly. And uh, after serious consideration, they've decided to retire the name. Um, so they're going to keep the uh, same cheese. It's just a yellow lump of cheese, mate. There's yeah. something against the cheese. They're going to have a, have, all, a, have a different name for it. I mean, it's not like it's not like the first first company in the world to, to have a brand name. I mean, mm. people change brands all the time, like football teams. I mean, I'm sure there's football teams in Melbourne that's changed over the years. So, you know, brands do change. In this case, it was just an iconic cheese, and I think it made it even worse than a, a black fellow brought about the change. I think people can't reconcile that. Yeah, it's, um, it's, 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 I'm sure it's mind-blowing for a whole bunch of people. Uh, before, before I let you go, uh, Stephen, are there any campaigns or any um, uh, issues that you're looking to tackle now or in the future that we can help spread the word on down here in uh, Melbourne? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm appearing on the point on NITV, uh, SBS on Thursday night. Oh, excellent. And talking about the same sort of thing, you know, and, and I, um, I, I'll be talking there about, you know, for instance, there's this, this campaign that they blame me for was smarter white milk. Uh, I, I got up and did a campaign that changed the, the, the brand, false brand smarter white milk, but it got out in the paper, you know, after Mark Latham raised the issue. And, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's fake news that got me a lot of um, more hate mail. Yeah. I'm also, uh, camp- well, I am doing an actual uh, case. I've got a, a legal case against um, 
um, cold express for racial profiling. They you know, go on a service station in, in Townsville, North Queensland, and of course I see the Elton John concert and um, they wouldn't let me uh, activate the bands of the poor fuel in my bloody car and um, all the other white customers were, were easily accessing their Bowser and when I went inside and asked what was going on after he told me to move away from the car, I, um, the bloke told me that uh, they've had problems with uh, drive-offs. And I right. couldn't believe it. I, mean, I was the best-dressed person there. So, yeah. Yeah, look, it, it's, a, it's, it's continuous for me. Um, you know, Daniel, I, I don't give up, mate. I, I'm not a young person anymore. And I'm, uh, I would much rather be doing other things, but where I see social justice uh, inequalities, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take them all. I have no problem fighting fighting the good cause. Yep, they're fighting the wrong blackfella when they when they take you on. Um, uh, I think um, I think what we've got to realise is that uh, you know hate merchants like uh, like Latham and and those particularly on the the far right of our medium, what they put down is picked up by elements in the in the broader community, and it has real world effects on. On people of colour and, and and whichever group they decide to to demonise, and you know you being at the uh, petrol bows and not being able to fill your car because there've been some drive-offs, it's just a small but very pertinent example of where that attitude seeps and creeps into society. Uh, it just once again it it, it um, reinforces the the uh, the view that we're living in a. a, a I think they live in a white Australia. I mean, this is a multicultural country. Mm. Most Aussies are born yeah, overseas right. anyway. Most of them are coloured, you know. Uh, and but yet they think they it, it's a it's a lily white Australia, and you know, white is right, white is right, and uh, they can do and say what they want to do. And if they'd want to stop me from filling my my, my rental car up, uh, I mean, mind you, I, I was the best dressed person there. I went to the airport with my beautiful wife and. Um, the memory lady from Innisvale, and we jumped on the plane. We flew business class. Yeah. So I flew back to Darwin, and um, I jumped in my Mercedes. So it looked like I'm some some uh, you know some suspect person who's going to drive away in a, in a uh, you know uh, an accident in my car. It's just, just they see black and they see ab- and they got the that uh, you know deficit model of what they view Aboriginal people to be. And unfortunately, I won't I won't put up with that nonsense from anyone. Well, I heard un- unconfirmed reports, Stevens, that you were the uh, the, uh, the best looking person there as well. But um, that's a chat for another another day. Um, thank <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you for your work, and uh, keep fighting the good fight. Yeah, good on you. Thanks, Andy. Look, a big shout out to all your Victorian listeners. I wish them all the very best in this very volatile time with the COVID nineteen. Stay stay safe and proud and strong. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. Seeing as I have a little bit of extra time on my hands uh, this evening, I, I just would like to get a bit of a grievance off my chest. I've... Um in a very non-narcissistic way, have been perusing the various uh, podcaster uh, platforms, the podcatcher platforms, and I've noticed that the the podcast of this show, The Mission, which you are listening to now, is not even ranking in the top 200 of some of those uh, podcatchers, so like iTunes, Spotify, the other ones. 
And, uh, you know, when I see people like, you know, Macca all over Australia actually charting and, and, and a show like this where people from all walks of life, dedicated people, people that are ch- being championed in the cause of our most vulnerable people, people who are stalwarts, people that are soldiers, people that are warriors coming to the show week in, week out and lay down stuff for you and I to pick up. Well, it kind of gets on my goat a little bit. So if you wanted to listen to the podcast and subscribe and rate it and listen to and hear from people like Archie Roach, uh, Tony Armstrong, Nacho Deputy CEO, Dawn Casey, uh, Jill Gallagher AO, Amy McGuire, Shane Charles, Roxanne Moore, uh, Dr. Andrew Peters, Gary Foley, uh, Narita Waite, Mariki Onus, Marcus Stewart, just to name a few, then you can either go to rr.org.au and uh, you can find the mission there and you can find the link to subscribe to the podcast or you can go to your favourite podcatcher website and subscribe there. If you do, uh, please leave a nice um, uh, review and um, uh, tell your friends all about it because uh, we just can't have mackerel over Australia charting above the mission from Triple R. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.